shining the shade of my family tree. I'm a branch that broke off. What will become of me? Dear Mom, I'm lying here in this queen-sized bed. I'm thinking back to all the stories you read to me about those little animals who went to sea in their beautiful pea-green boats. But I can't remember now what happened then. Dear Mom, how does it end? The owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and lots of money wrapped in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to the small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, pussy, my love. What a wonderful pussy you are, you are, you are. Let us be married. Too long we tarried, but what shall we do for a ring? A ring, a ring, a ring. What shall we do for a ring? Hey. favorite uh, 
books reading to my daughter for a bunch of years. But I can't remember who the illustrator was. There have been so many different book versions of The Owl and the Pussycat. Um, I can't remember who the illustrator of this particular version was. But it's a song that I immediately gravitate, gravitated towards when I heard Bright Red for the first time, the new Laurie Anderson album. Laurie Anderson has been in town performing for the past um, four nights. Tonight was the last night of a four-night run over at the Neil Simon Theater on Broadway. And it is my pleasure to welcome her to Idiot's Delight right now. Hello, Laurie Hi. Anderson. It's nice to meet you again. Yeah, we've met here. We've met in passing from time to time. We've mm -hmm. never really had a chance to uh, to talk. Did you have a favorite Owl and the Pussycat, a favorite version of it when you were a kid? Do you recall, you know, yeah, when you were first... Yeah, there some kind of crayon version of it. So I remember it looked like it had been done by like a four-year-old. It was great. Really? Yeah, it was a beautiful one. Yeah, just like squiggles and scrawls. Edward Lear, yeah, right, was the the author of the Owl and the Pussycat. What what made you decide to ad, uh, adapt it into uh, a, a song? What led you towards it? Was it like I, I mean, I get the feeling that there was this sort of reminiscence thing happening. There was that. There was also uh, in in working on that record, there was an everything turned out to be a pair of something else. So there was another song about animals, kind of. Uh, Love Affair Gone Wrong. It was about an eagle and a weasel. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, well... The first song on the, quote, other side, right, sort of. Yeah, right, right. All that nostalgia for vinyl. Uh, and that was a, a kind of parasitic sort of relationship. And I thought, well, no, wait a second. They, they're, how about a really nice love song? And the only thing I could think of was other animals. So, yeah, I, they have a such a sweet love affair just dancing around and... The moon's out. That's it. Un Dance on the sand. Unlike those, the two animals in in the other song, um, that song called "Speechless," mm -hmm. in in which one of them uh, actually literally grabs onto the other, it and came hangs from on, a, for, yeah, <laughs> hangs on for dear life. Freakish right? yeah. actual um, thing. It was from an Annie Dillard book, which was about, uh, uh, and she was, you know, she's written some beautiful things, and and this was from I think, well. Pilgrim from Tinker Creek is one of my favorites, and she just goes out into um, the middle of nowhere and just sits and watches and waits for weird things to happen. And that was one of the weird things she saw, which was an eagle that had the skull of a weasel attached to its neck. And you know, you usually have to wait a long time to see stuff like oh, that. Oh yes. <laughs> so <laughs> it took her a while, but anyway, she she then thought, well. That must have been what happened from their, you know, fight from years ago when they, or whatever, months so ago. It was her rendition of, or her version of what she thought had occurred. Yeah, there was no nature film that it <laughs> happened to, no crew right. that happened to be around at the moment, I think. Nothing on the Explorer channel right, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, to be able to... There should be an, a freak of nature kind of nature show. That would be nice, because it's usually just like fluffy things doing, you know... My my daughter, Natural who's stuff. who's fourteen years old now, thinks that all of those nature shows are are freaks of nature shows. 
It's it's weird. She because yeah. usually if she's like you know sort of channel surfing or something, right. and she pops up on one of them, they're either very like hideous looking creatures, insects, you know, magnified a yeah. hundred times, or there's some sort of um, hunter prey thing right. going on. There's some yeah. somebody's losing a life somewhere. Yeah, but we live here in New York where kids actually have to pay money to go and see animals eat. You know, in the zoo, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a... or or just trud, you know, trudge around their pens. You know, this is we're pretty isolated from uh, uh, the prey. You know, you grew Animals up praying on you, each other. You grew up in the Midwest. Yeah, not now, a very wild part of the town. Of the country. Uh, where where was it? A farm, rural area, or did you grow up in the city? It was about fifty miles uh, west of Chicago. So yeah, pretty tame. Okay. Uh, by a really beautiful lake. We had a lot of ducks, though. That was that was very beautiful. And they kept getting their feet frozen into the new layers of ice. That was that was when didn't, didn't very they... strange. You're skating to school across this lake, getting close to these ducks, and they don't fly away. And then you see, whoa, you know, because temperature drops quickly around there, and they would just be, you know. Uh, sliding around and they'd get frozen into the ice. They're not too bright, you know. Do you mean they would get caught by surprise by winter and would have forgotten to fly south? Aren't they supposed to fly south? They should be flying yeah. south, yeah. But they, they, for some, that was south. You know, the ones that had been up way up by the Hudson Bay and stuff like that. So Chicago was tropical. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Well, now there's a there's a strange image for a for a poem or a song or an essay or or something. Ducks frozen. In Ducks a, frozen into the ice. Into yeah. the ice. That was um. There, were, I was thinking of that image when when I was one of the some of the first concerts that I did actually were. Um, I had a these were concerts I did around New York City out, outdoors on, on street corners and stuff. And I had a violin that had a speaker inside and and it was kind of self playing violin, and so that you could play duets with it live. It was like real early attempt to kind of use electronics, uh -huh. and but since it was a, a tape loop, I I didn't really have a way to end the concert, so I wore some um, ice skates with their blades frozen into blocks of ice. And when you, uh, the ice melts, the concert's over. That was the timing mechanism. So uh, The ice melts, the concert's over. And you lose your balance, you know, all over. <laughs> oh, That's it. Thank you and good night. Yeah. Well, didn't I see a picture of you hanging upside down recently doing a sort of a Houdini thing? A mm -hmm. Coney Island or somewhere? What was that all about? That was... Um, did that a couple weeks ago, a couple weekends ago in uh, at Coney Island, and it was a Annie Leibovitz was shooting the photographs, and she's she kind of tricks me into doing these things. You know, she said, "Let's just go to Coney Island; it'll be really fun." And we were, she said, "You you can just get down into this aquarium with some of these turtles, and you know, we'll do some underwater shots." I thought that sounded like fun. I got into this big tank and. It was so cold, you know, and how it was so cold that I couldn't even sh stop shaking underwater. And you know, water is kind of like a, a medium where you don't like tremble that mm, much. Mm -hmm. But it was, and there were these eels under there too. And have you ever seen those things? They look like 
I mean, they're, I think, worse than insects. They have, like, these Martian heads. Eels are creepy, yeah. Really, definitely. really, really ugly. Yeah. And there were four of them hiding around in the rocks. And I said, well, what if they, like, stop hiding in the rocks and swim out? And they said, no, no, they're, they, they're harmless unless you, you get close to them. So, <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks, Annie. Yeah. <laughs> so then we did some other... Um, other, yeah, this the famous Houdini shot of, I guess he was, I think he had just been locked in a trunk underwater with a lot of chains. And that was the shot when he was hoisted up from mm. from the water. And so you guys were replicating that shot? I think that was, it was Annie's idea of, uh, yeah, I think she loved that shot. So. Mm. Well, I saw it in, uh, I guess it was, it, it ran in the New Yorker, mm -hmm. I think. Um Sort of, and the, the concurrent issue last week of New York Magazine got everything wrong. Did you notice that? Did you see New York Magazine last week? The the the, the, the sort of block box thing that uh -huh. it did about you got totally I, everything wrong. I it didn't had see you, it. yeah, it had you at the wrong theater, Ooh, but yeah, whoops. it had you at the wrong theater, which didn't. I didn't mind that one that much, uh -huh. that because I knew what the right theater was, right. You know, so it was like okay. But it it had a thing about your website, uh -huh. and I have recently. Um, gone online uh -huh. did it have the yeah. wrong address and it had the wrong address Ooh. but by but by one little tiny little mistake uh-huh it had the address punctuation is yeah the, it was punctuation uh -huh. it was all the http stuff right, right? and the www right. voyager right and then it went hyphen code.com hyphen and the hyphen doesn't belong mm -hmm. and i sat for days yeah doing like per permutations of it but i never came up with the right one really the the right one is that voyager and co just run together yeah there is one no, word right there is no voyager co. oh boy so they really screwed it up yeah. which makes you wonder how much else is wrong in this magazine every time you pick it up and read it yeah they had you at the wrong theater and they had your wrong website all right so now i finally got to your website you did yeah uh -huh. but i'm not sure if my did you get some of the QuickTime movies? No, see, I couldn't get any of that stuff. Is that because my software isn't up yeah, to you, up to speed or something? Yeah, you got to get some extra stuff for all, the QuickTime. All I kept getting was like your your itinerary. Oh, over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, that's a yeah, thrilling. and then I got yeah, I I was because I was looking for all this other really cool stuff. Yeah, we we've, we've put a lot of like little sound pieces and yeah. and QuickTime movies and. And there's a kind of tour diary, and then I think you, so. I guess you just saw them. Did you see the map with little? X's I saw on? the map. Yeah, okay. I got so, the map. So there's um, there are a few more layers than that. It's frustrating. I, I couldn't isn't get it? deeper, right? You know, and yeah. I, th I think I, I started out with this a couple of weeks ago, um, and and the guy who was helping me to set it all up said, "Oh, get internet in a box. That's mm -hmm. all you need, right?" And so I got internet in a box, and I had it installed and everything. And now this same guy keeps saying, "Ah, it's not enough." Oh, you need to update it. Yeah, trap. yeah. Your oh, Netscape's got to be more powerful. And right. I'm going, oh, wait a minute. You just told me to get internet in a box. I did it. Right. Now it's not enough. Yeah. I can't get the sound bites. Yeah. But, so I found, I did get your itinerary, right? The there nerve, it is. The Nerve Bible tour. And, yeah. I, and you're in the middle of it now. Uh -huh. You've been working quite hard and you still have uh, another couple of weeks to go. But on April 19th, you will be in Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. And you will be performing at the Tupperware Convention Center. Yes. Not <laughs> wait for that. Yeah. We're going to have our whole set redone in Tupperware. Now, what that. what do you suppose the Tupperware Convention I, Center is? I can't is? wait to see this place. I mean, we've played in some really great places as you know, we started out, I guess, in February. And 
great Shriner, you know, temples and opera houses and very weird little holes in the well. Not not tiny places because our set's pretty big, but um, it's been pretty wild. And so the the idea of the of the website is not so much to like, like to get feedback from these these places or people, but just to find out what's what's going on. It's called the Green Room, the green which room. is right. which is usually like. Um, you know, every theater has this hospitality room where it's called a green room. It's usually like um, for people from the record company come after the show and you love their concert, you know. But it's it's not like a schmooze room for us. It's more like an information place so we can kind of try to find out what people are up to and what they're thinking about and what their own work is like. So it's been great for that. So so you mean in the different towns that you go to, local artists will come by and, and writers Or they'll and just get on, or... online or, you know, they'll, they'll talk to us on our on our website. They don't have to come to the show. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. They don't even have stay to home. They don't even have to be there. No. no. Mm. All right. Well, now, should I, should I give this, uh, this address out, the website address? Yeah. Would yeah, that be okay? Yeah. The correct address? For those people who who know about this, they'll understand um, that the address for the green room is http colon forward slash forward slash. I had to learn how to do all this uh-huh. stuff. It's like a whole different language, isn't it? http colon forward slash forward slash www dot voyagerco dot com. That's it. And Voyager spelled V O Y A G E R. Voyager Voyager is a is a company that has published your there's like an interactive CD-ROM mm-hmm. now that's yeah. what that's what their involvement is Yeah Voyager is an electronic publishing company and and they're the tour sponsor which has really been great for for us it's um because you know when you when you have a a bunch of equipment you're trying to take it on the road it's very expensive so you know you have this choice of let's see who could help bud cheeto lays i don't know <laughs> you know okay. and i Whenever people would say, what do you think is cool tech? I would just start talking about Voyager because they have really beautiful CD-ROMs. And so they became our tour sponsor, and they said, well, by the way, let's just do a CD-ROM, you know, a simple one, (laughs) you know. And so we um, started working on that in November, and it's became very, very complicated project it just came out a couple of days ago and it's the, the pup the, the puppet puppet motel the puppet motel called, yeah okay. and there's a lot of stuff in there it's funny like mixing music for something like that because you've got to mix it like 12 different ways it has nothing to do with like mixing for a record or anything like that it's really wild mix it 12 different ways because because people can there's choose no, yeah they can choose and they they or they can crossfade or you know go go a lot of different directions, mm. and that—that's the thing about this. Was was very weird to um, to think that way in some ways. Although in other ways, I I thought, wow, this is a perfect medium for me. Like doing all these, how do pictures and texts and and music relate? And so it was so much fun to design. And it's it takes even if you know it really. Well, it'll take you about 12 hours to kind of go through it. Wow. There's a lot of stuff in there. To the extent of, you could be very passive about it and just kind of look through it and listen to the music and go to different places. And 
or for the real wireheads, we've hidden the entire code, and so you can reprogram everything if you feel like it, if you can find no it. No kidding. Yeah, but there are a lot of <laughs> trapdoors in there. Wireheads. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, a phrase I'm not familiar with. Mm. Or you're looking at one. Wow, you're a wirehead. <laughs> yeah. And have you been one for a long time? I mean, when you were back, uh, like, for instance, in high school, out out outside of Chicago, yeah, well, were they, you already... They called it nerd then. Okay. Yeah. All right. Was it was it um, technical at that point, or was it just a state of mind? I yeah, I think it's um, it's the way you look, the way you act. You know, I I tried to be, I tried to overcompensate by doing cheerleading, you know, that kind of thing. So I wouldn't. Lori really Anderson was a cheerleader. You bet. I, I still actually remember all these cheers. It was so, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Did you cheer for the football team and football, mostly basketball? basketball? Baseball never had what was the name of your, I don't know why. What was the name of your team? Uh, well, we were, the school is called Glenbard West. And, um, you know, I, I met one of my friends from high school, actually from my whole childhood, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the tour. And we, we thought, let's, let's sit around and like reminisce about high school. And we started and we, we couldn't remember anything about it. We were just getting like, remember that guy who was like, he used to teach, uh, and then we would like draw blank because uh, yeah. it was a complete failure. So I think that in a way you just, like at a certain point, there's something to the statute of limitations, you know. Even you with were, memories. Huh? Yeah, you yeah. were like so different 10 years ago that you probably shouldn't have to take any responsibility, even for forgetting about it. Because yeah. uh, it's like, you, don't you think like 10 years ago, or is 10 years ago clear to you or do you have to search no, for No, 10 years ago is totally, totally muddy. Mm -hmm. Even at this point, five years ago is pretty muddy. So we're like five-year-olds or 10-year-olds, mm -hmm. really. Which I guess is sort of exciting when you think of it that way. Yeah. Right? It, I think being five is so fresh. I mean, I remember it just being wonderful. Yeah. Really thought it was great. I, I try to 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 uh, one of the exercises that I do is try to to reconstruct days. I have, I have a lot of time on my hands occasionally. I like to like think back to when I was like about maybe eight, let's say. And you can, it's amazing what you can remember. You know, you can look down and look at your shoes, and they're like real small. And then you look at your hands, and they're your kids' hands. You know, and then if you really just relax into it you could look around you imagine you're in your room and you can look around and see all the books you used to have and then as I got more into this I would do things like well I think I'll walk to school now and then you look around and you you remember all those weird houses and you know things that you think have have gone forever you can uh, if you relax mm. you can re-see them all it's a it's a kind of controlled meditation, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and then you think, wow, I I've never stopped breathing since then. You know, <laughs> my yeah, heart right. never stopped. Right. It's very weird because it's so easy to to you know lose a sense of continuity. You know, with with your, just yourself, and and you forget that you've you've have this very long history, especially in a place like New York, where it's like, you know. It moves so fast. Every, everything everything is new every day. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's flashing by. Mm -hmm. I do that sometimes as a as a sort of a form of sleep inducement. Mm -hmm. Try to conjure up like a childhood place, a yeah. room, or or the park where I used to play. Yeah, you know? it's so relaxing. Yeah. yeah.
There's I spoke about something at the very beginning of the show tonight, probably just around the same time that you were going on stage at the Neil Simon. Um, the line that you use in Speak My Language about there being more people alive than dead. Right. And I wondered whether that is, in fact, is that a true statement or is that a metaphorical we statement? We passed uh, that point in about 1958 or something like that. That was the point at which it was about even. This is something that uh, um, John Cage wrote an essay about, and that one fact was so staggering to me. You know, how could this be? That means, you know, if more people are alive now than have ever lived in the history of the world, it's um, it's pretty freakish because then that would mean there has to be like like a Shakespeare and, a, you know, um, a Buddha and all kinds of like incredible people just because of the odds, you know. So we, we're just... It's it's so overwhelming, just that that fact, you know, it, I, for me, it changes everything. You, you see, well, I've asked several people over the last couple of days about that, and, and everybody says, no, that can't, it can't be a literal fact. Mm -hmm. It must be some, you know, symbol or metaphorical thing mm -hmm. that she's doing. It can't possibly, because it is so unfathomable. Yeah. There are more people since 1958? I think that was the date. It was the late 50s. More yeah. living people than, than have ever lived before. Yeah. So yeah. more living people than dead. It's crowded. <laughs> yes. Can we listen to that? Sure. That song? Daddy, daddy. It was just like you said Now that the living Outnumber the dead
daddy, daddy. It was just like you said. Now that the living outnumber the dead, speak my language. Speak my language. Laurie Anderson from uh, one of two new albums that are uh, available. Um, this one being the more, quote, musical, um, the more song oriented. It's an album called Bright Red. There's also uh, an album out that is more spoken word oriented, um, story oriented, I guess, called The Ugly One with the Jewels. And if you sort of combine the two, they become um, they become the nerve bible in a way. They become the show that you're doing, that you're doing now, that you're on tour with now. Yeah, I think they're about oh, maybe half of the things from mm. the from the show are from that. The other half are, are things that uh, that I wrote for just for the show. That are um, it's it's funny when you when you write for pictures. It's it's uh, a lot different than for for records. So. A lot of the um, images in the show, are, I would just have, you know, I would loop them and then write music while I watched all the pictures. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'd be in, you'd be inspired by the the visual images. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time like doing computer animations, and then I think just because it's uh, such a incredibly repetitive time-consuming kind of thing once you get one little loop it's like so satisfying and you could just watch it forever so Mm. it's kind of complicated and they would have like their own visual rhythms and you know kind of so i would get like basic tracks from watching those i just turn all my stuff on and uh, when i'm working and just do everything at once so have a lot of also because you know computers are sometimes doing you know processing things it would say well you'll need 47 minutes to do this operation it's always good to have two or three computers going at once so you can move over to yeah. something else yeah do you have like can i picture you properly at a, at a control panel in your in your workspace at home do you have all kinds of stuff like i have spread around me here like yeah, are you sort have, of in a womb of uh, technological it depends stuff on where i'm working i have 11 computers and so i'm wow. uh, some of they they do different stuff so in my recording studio there's a um you know the music things and then i can look through some glass doors and then run out and do the visual stuff and it's it's um 
I can't wait to get back and back to work. Actually, I, really? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, touring's a lot of fun, but it's um, I. Uh, it gets a little numbing after a while, you know. You know, when you can't really. Um, I mean, I'm an artist who needs a lot of stuff, you know. And I, I wish I could just like do pencil sketches or something nice and simple. But I, I need a lot of plugs. <laughs> pencil sketches are not one of your talents. No, not really. Yeah. Um, I just have to say this is WXRK, New York. Get the official ID out of the way here. Um, Idiot's Delight is the name of the show. I'm Vin Skelsa, and Laurie Anderson is my guest. She's just completed four nights over at the Neil Simon Theater with uh, the Nerve Bible. How difficult is it traveling with that show? Breaking it down for, you know, the road and putting it back up again the next night in a new town and in a new theater where perhaps you've never been before and that crew has never been before. It's, it seems like an enormously complicated um, we have set. A, yeah, we, we have. have a great we have a great crew, and we're we're getting pretty good at it. It's yeah. a it's a lot of stuff. It's true. It's like something seventy seven thousand pounds of stuff. You know, in two big trucks. It's a very old-fashioned way to work, you know. A lot of people, I think, prefer to sort of do electronic tours now. You know, just do the video, do the record, send it, ship stuff out into the electronic world. Because it's real messy to tour, you know. It's mm -hmm. dusty theaters, a lot of them. And, and a lot of them are like um, hemp houses, you know. And 19th century, uh, you know, theaters that have basically sandbag and ropes. You know, so is that what you mean by hemp house? Yeah, it's a it's a way to fly things. And, right, right. And so our our um, we're not talking about marijuana here. We're talking about hemp as a rope. Hemp as a rope. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. And fly also is not some kind of code for anything else. Right. And right. so it's uh, although that I was the show is going to start with a flying in upside down and I had this um, I practiced being upside down for for a couple of months before and then we had this big rig and a big bolt fell out of it one one night we just kind of went ooh where mm. does this come from because mm. if you're you're it feels very vulnerable to be hanging upside down by a little thread you know and but a beautiful view of a theater and i thought i really i don't get nervous so i needed something to sort of get myself a little bit a little bit nervous before a show. Hanging upside down seemed like a good way to do that. <laughs> By a thread, yes. Yeah. And then you also have this beautiful view of the theater and, and the trusses and all the lights and the balconies and, you know, people up there. And and, and I thought, well, this show is about disorientation, so this is a really good way to start, get the blood running to your head. But I, when I saw the bolt go, I kind of went, Oh no uh, way! Am I going to be up on this thing? <laughs> no thanks. So. Art, art, art is not necessarily um, worth risking your life for. No, it's not. <laughs> no, I don't think anything's really worth. Well, mm, anything is worth risking your life for. I could never imagine like being a soldier and risking your life for your country. You know, like. When I'm thinking of like, what would you really uh, put your life would on the you line? Would you risk your for? life for your your child, your lover? Yeah, I yeah, get, yeah for sure yeah, you would. I think, but for uh, for some idea, for an idea, yeah. art, your country, yeah, no, yeah. You mentioned John Cage before. Um, there's a, a a marvelous story that you tell about meeting 
with John Cage a few years ago. Can you recount a little bit of that? Yeah, that was... And, uh, and the great question that came out Oh, of the it. questions, yeah. 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 Well, I was supposed to be interviewing them, and um, it... I have endless hours of tape of, of this interview, which I... Um, which was transcribed. It was for a magazine called Tricycle. It's a Buddhist magazine. And um, they... I thought they should have published the whole interview because it was, it was pretty intense. But, you know, editors really like something snappy, and, and we weren't really being very snappy. It, it took me a long time to get to the point in in this interview because I've always admired him so much, and and especially when he was really old. This was, you know, he was almost 80, and he was like, he was really happy. And that is so rare. You mm. know, a, a lot of old people are really... They're, they've had it. They, you know, they're they're sick. They're pissed off. They're they're old. You know, they hate it. You know, and the he, body is failing them. Yeah, and they're like yeah. resentful, as if they nobody told them that that would happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, what are you stupid? <laughs> you know, eighties old. You know, you're lucky to get there. So, but he was so optimistic, John Cage, and just so graceful. And I, and I, when I see people like that, I want to know. You know. What's on their mind? What makes them so hopeful? Mm. You know, where did you where did you meet with him? At his place on Sixth Avenue, and you know, so a lot of it was about things that I'd forgotten about, like the basic things that he talked about, like the beauty of silence, mm. which, you know, it's of course almost um, taboo to to do that in in most circumstances. You know, just on the radio dead air woo tv it's even kind of worse if people stop talking it's terrifying even for three or four seconds you know or two or if you're having a conversation with someone and, and you just stop talking i think you know people feel incredibly vulnerable you know like what are you seeing now when you're looking at me Hmm. When your mouth isn't moving and mine isn't, you know, uh, so I think it's it's something only, you know, lovers do, and if you you do that with somebody who you're having a conversation with, it's it's terrifying. I mean, try it for even like five seconds, and it's like, whoa, you know. Anyway, he, I, uh, when I think of him, I I think of like that very simple thing and also just how when you do stop talking finally which is something I can barely bring myself to do um, <laughs> you also feel yourself uh, in this you know you're in this giant ocean of air with incredibly interesting things happening uh, in terms of sound and and the way things are um, the way light moves and you you know often forget that everything isn't just an event that it's that it's also about um, just being in a lot of different kinds of places. So we would just open the windows a lot and, and listen to the traffic on Sixth Avenue, which was something he's written a lot about. But it was so much fun to just do that mm. and to really, really feel it, not just sort sort of try to for three seconds. You know, oh well, that was an interesting experiment in listening to traffic in New York. How could that be musical? You know. Eh. But anyway, the um, in the interview, I 
with him, I was, I really wanted to ask him um, whether he thought things were getting better or worse. And the thing, the thing about it is sometimes, you know, I look around and, and in the la- especially in the last few years, I, I've noticed that, you know, culture in this country has been getting so corporate. You know, and a lot of things have been getting so corporate. And look around and think too. Well, there's, a, you know, are we really becoming more conformist, or is this just some kind of illusion? And is it really true that we're, you know, I mean, just look at what we're making. You know, the kinds of music and the kinds of movies and the kind of clothes we're wearing. And I'm thinking, what happened to like real? Um, adventurous spirits, you know, people who really want to break a lot of rules. It doesn't doesn't seem like there's many of those people around, you know, and so I I really was getting very depressed about this, thinking, how, how could this be? Is it really true? You know, and, and as you see things swinging farther to the right and watching the media machines really taking over, you're thinking, it's it can be depressing. In fact, that's mm. one of the reasons that I went out on this tour is because I'm I'm from the underground, you know, underground art world, and um, that's what my interest is in terms of culture. You know, trying to find people who uh, just aren't you know so interested in buying into the mainstream. This is a really long way of saying that, you know, talking about this interview, because these aren't the exact questions I was asking John Cage no, or what you asked me. Please, but anyway, please go, it was, go it with was, it. Uh, it was uh, a question that that. You know what? Can I interrupt you for a second sure. on, on the, the whole idea of, of the corporate takeover mm-hmm. of everything? It's 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 insidious in a way because under the guise of what the corporations sponsor, there are things that do look like um, rebelliousness. There are things that do look like breaking the rules. But you in, mean like but, fashion stuff? Yeah, in a way, oh, yeah. you know. But but they yeah. aren't really. I mean, no. It's if there are so many taboos in this country. And you touch one just lightly, and you'll feel somebody scream. You know, like there, there really are a lot of them. I mean, there's plenty of stuff for avant people to do, you know. But um, there's, it's just on the level of fashion. I think one of the reasons of that, for that, is, is uh, the speed of media too. You know, um, the voraciousness of it. You have to, have to, have to have something that looks new or maybe even is a little bit new. Um, in fact, it's usually not, but I, I think one of the things about, one of the reasons that I think the avant-garde seems to have disappeared is because of that speed, you know. For example, let's say you're like a, a young artist, you come to New York and you think, because you have this picture of, wow, the life of an artist, big loft in Soho and green plants and parties and it's all cool. And you get there and you realize, boy, it's really hard to be an artist. You know, it's a very tough time. Mm-hmm. And so you like you get a job like at an ad agency or something like that. And, but on Saturday, you go down to Soho and look at the galleries and then see this, see what's happening and and a lot by Monday morning a lot of these art ideas have been comped up into ads for shoes and cars and you know whatever and, and it's very styly looking you know it's like whoa cool looking 
so I I think it's an avant-garde is supposed to be art that's ahead of its time, you know, and it's very hard to be ahead. Sometimes, although now, you know, with the, the political situation, I think, you know, often in some ways, politically, you just have to stand still and you'll be ahead of your time. <laughs> you know, you think, you, are, this is progress? You know, you look around at, at politicians who are, you know, talking about things like personal issues you know the 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 fiction of his or is there a, is there a perfect american family yeah, or is this just yeah. some kind of fiction and a lot of our social policies spin off the answers to that question you know and in other words things like you know your daughter is not married has a kid do you, shall we f- uh, finance her apartment or who's dad in this scenario in this scenario also the artists are the kids who, who just sit down and shut up. You know? mm-hmm. So it's it's a very hostile environment in a lot of ways to be an artist at the moment and, and do things or talk about things like even a basic question like what is art good for anyway? You know, it's it's always hidden under like censorship and that sort of showier parts of like, ooh, there's there are artists doing bad things with piss and blood wow that's so interesting and so so and we shouldn't be paying for that so and so on and and those kinds of censorship arguments are the same ones that have been going on for 10 years and nobody takes it the next step and goes really what's art good for why should we have it anyway why not just have you know pop culture what's the point Mm -hmm. you know and and when the answer is something like, well, it's because it's about free expression, then you realize mm, not too many people are really in favor of that. It's much more about what looks cool, what's what's fashionable, and what sells. Well, what about then, if it's about free expression, is, should the government be involved? In See, the, here we are right, in there this we go. discussion. Right, there we go. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I'm... What's your, what's your take on it? My take on it is like, um, well, I think this country should spend a hundred times what it does on on the arts. But then again, you know, I'm an artist, and mm-hmm. I think if everybody was an artist, that would be like a dream world. That would be so great if we really had like a lot of people doing that. But you know, I'm, that's that's my interest here, and. Um, in in people be able, being able to use their creativity more the better. I I think there just cannot be too many artists, and that even on a basic less level of let's say cultural export, which is what a lot of us do. I mean we we take this work and we're we're exporters, and so even on that level, I think that there should be more support for the arts. I mean. I and a lot of musicians and artists that I know spend an awful lot of our lives um, doing that. I mean, working in Europe, for example, and 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 import-export, that's the business, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But it's never really seen that way because it's, um, it's not really... Uh, it's still kind of too weird for... For, for, the, for, for the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. 
or the whole idea of art unless it's in in some big storehouse as a museum and then you know if it actually affects people and touches them ooh look out uh oh yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah it has to be sort of old and dead yeah old dead and cost a lot yeah it's a, yeah i mean you look back on um there there's like threads that run through this show sometimes and and earlier tonight i was i was playing iggy pop's song lust for life oh, yeah. and talking about van gogh and um, the, the, the book and the movie called Lust for Life. And, and there's a prime example. I mean, Van Gogh, when he was alive and painting him, you know, people looked at his stuff and laughed at him, right? That was that yeah. art. And then as soon as, he, as soon as he was dead, and evidently his brother's sister, his sister-in-law, according to something I read recently, was actually the one who, after the two of them were dead, pursued, because this was all she had, were, were all these paintings, the legacy of these paintings. She uh -huh. was the one who pursued and pushed and forced people to look at the paintings and pay attention to uh -huh. So now here it is, you know, how many years later, Van and Van Gogh, there's no question but that he's an artist. Yeah. Right? He's my favorite artist. Actually, I wrote a, a song for him called Unlike Van Gogh, because it, it began with, like, I was saying, yeah. this was when I was an art critic. And for a bunch of art magazines, you know, like Art Forum and Art in America, and and this was I got always got assigned to review like minimal artists, and they were doing this work that was kind of like real intellectual and really kind of cold but very smart, and you know, I liked their work, but it didn't really move me, you know. And so my favorite artist was Van Gogh because. His work is so emotional and and like in, intense and in especially in that context, I, I I just wanted to keep his name in print, so I would like I can and keep using him as a kind of foil for this other cold stuff. So I, you know, all the all the reviews that I wrote would would you know mention his name. You know, this artist like Van Gogh uses yellow and blue or something. You know, <laughs> or even if there was no to need to bring him right. up. <laughs> so finally, you know, this editor calls me and he goes, you know. Not every artist can be usefully compared to Van Gogh, uh, uh, and I saw that right away. But I, I, I just couldn't like edit his name out. So that all the reviews started reading, um, "This artist, unlike Van Gogh, you know, whatever falls uh, from right, that." Right, and yeah. so try to to uh, keep him in there. That's interesting that he would be your favorite. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just think his intensity was. Uh, and his pictures of stars. Nothing could be more beautiful than that. He really, that was real vision. Yeah. I know it's corny to like Van Gogh, but I don't care. I mean, I think he's, he, corny stuff is great. We got we got real far away from John Cage and the oh, question, yeah. and the question uh, are things <laughs> getting question. better or worse? Yeah. The, I, I did ask him that and I took a lot longer than than we we have to ask him because I I was embarrassed of that question. I thought that is a really stupid question. How, what's he? How is he going to react to that? And then I went into this thing about blah blah blah. But well, um, trying to cover myself like if there was you know according to like theories of evolution, if there's a race between a modern horse and a prehistoric horse, the modern horse would win because it's faster, more efficient, it's adapted, and are we like that too? And and then if you think of like other writers like Richard Dawkins, he was saying, you know, like that not everything has evolved for the greater good. So 
for example, um, if that had happened, then fire-breathing animals would evolve, have evolved, you know, and then they, then asbestos-coated nostrils could have evolved, so their they, their noses wouldn't get singed when they were conveniently cooking their their <laughs> just caught food and and blah blah blah. Anyway, all I, these Godzillas would yeah, have been running around. Godzillas. Yeah, so, so you know, finally after this, all of these digressions, you know, Cage is kind of going, "What what are you trying to say?" Uh-huh. You know, and I, and I said, "Well, you know." I want to know if you think things are getting better or worse. And he he was very uh, clear about that. And he just said that that um, better. He was he was really sure that things were getting better. It was such a relief to me, oh, yeah. you know, because you you think an old person's checking out and they're kind of going, "It's going to the dogs," you know. It's you know too bad you're not you're still around you know to watch it go sliding farther downhill but he he wasn't like that at all he was really really optimistic did he go any further than that than the answer yeah we we uh we talked a lot about um well i mean on a lot of different levels of um practical and spiritual advancements and now sometimes i you know, I mean, I know we don't. When we do wholesale slaughter, we we do feel some guilt usually, or there's somebody who's paying attention to it. Although there's some surprising, you know, um, exceptions to that. You know, like when I was in in traveling in Tibet, I had no idea, for example, what had really happened during the Cultural Revolution in China. Mm-hmm. I had thought it was sort of like, hmm. Like Stalin, maybe 30 million killed or 40 million or 20 or something, you know. 93 million Chinese were killed in the Cultural Revolution. And where is their monument? You know, it just depends on your, you know, the axe you've got to grind or, you know, the the monument you want to build. But there's not one for them. A million Tibetans were killed as well, just gunned down. So... Um, why am I talking about this? Are things getting better or worse? Yeah. In, right. the, in the light of that. In the light of that. Well. It is very optimistic to say that things are getting better in the light of that. In the light of that. Yeah. yeah. And, but you know, I, I think optimism is also a, it's a choice. You you can base your pessimism on and optimism on many many kinds of so-called you know facts and situations and and so on but in a way i prefer the the you know just the stupid approach of like i would much rather be optimistic because i feel i have a choice if i did you know endless numbers of polls to make sure that i was right about being (laughs) you know a pessimist then you know i just don't have that kind of time so i just prefer um when I hear someone who feels hopeful that I want to do that too because mm-hmm. I think that um, hopefulness will will save us you know and it and it's given a choice um, I, I think even if you you think things are, are really bad it doesn't make you work harder to correct them it just depresses you you know and you just kind of go well if it's like that then I'm just going to crawl into my hole. And I, I think people 
are, or at least it's just for myself. You know, I, I have to have a something that um, is some kind of goal, but also you know that you know that it seems like worth doing it. Mm, something, something to hold on to, yeah. maybe. Are you? I I know you're a, you are a spiritual person. Would you consider yourself a religious? I mean, I, or I don't know if those words are actually the same or not. I mean, what? How were you brought up religiously? I know, I know you tell a story about your grandmother who was a missionary. Yeah, uh, she was Southern Baptist. Yeah, holy okay. roller. So you were, is that the way you were brought up as well? Um, my parents belonged to more of a like a, a spinoff of um, uh, Lutheranism. The renegades. You know, Renegade Lutherans. Swedish, <laughs> Swedish Evangelical Mission Covenants. That wow. Was. Now, my grandmother's church was much more interesting, so I went and hung over there because they they sung. You know, they were doing they they really great songs, and it was like a southern thing, so they had a lot of black people, a lot of, like, really great, great singing, and that's what I liked, you know, yeah. just be around a place where it was like... Um, Everyone was brother and sister, and it was really cool, wonderful. And my own family's church was this, it was like a kind of church based on kind of coffee, really. <laughs> you'd, you'd go and um, you'd listen to this guy who would tell you how to be like decent human being, and it was like tips on that. Then you'd go down to the whatever, what was it called? Um, fellowship hall or mm -hmm. something, mm -hmm. and you'd get jagged on coffee and coffee cake, and then the rest of your Sunday you just like be <laughs> like on the edge because you were like a mess. Well, but that might be better than having a religion based on like tuna casserole. There are some religions. Oh, where there are you know, plenty of those. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I'd and rather have a marshmallow fluff covered yeah, yeah. yam. I'd rather have a coffee edge than yeah. Uh, than Would you? Me. Yeah, than a yam thing. So, I mean, now when you talk about having hope, uh, being an optimist, does that have anything to do with re religion? With, you know, because some people get their optimism and their hope from organized religion, from mm -hmm. their faith in God and their belief in a hereafter or yeah, whatever. Yeah, anywhere you, know? you can get it. I, yeah, I would okay. never right. be someone to say, here's where you should get mm -hmm. it. You know, from, well, the thing is, like, I, I used to get, I think, um, what made my life meaningful until a few years ago was was exclusively art. That was it. That's what I, I really cared about more than anything. I would see beautiful works of art, and mostly, you know, I would just hear, here I am living in New York City, which I like to think of as the capital of the art world, and you know, get a chance to see really amazing works of art being made, you know, just in our, this week, you know, just, and knowing a lot of artists and watching them make stuff, that, there's nothing like that. It's just the act of creativity is breathtaking, you know, mm -hmm. and so. And it's infectious, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why people put up with this town, or at least a lot of artists, that's why a lot of artists put up with this, and because that is great. Now then, like I guess it was like the mid or midish eighties. You know, I kind of just started getting a little cynical about it and thinking like, well, it's all about it's getting to be about money. You know, about getting you know your art in somebody's 
stock portfolio really or you know like there are a lot of go-go artists in the in the 80s that and a lot of people who were attracted to because it seemed like really fashionable thing to do or something and and a lot of what what attracted me to the art world was was really I don't know disappearing so I thought um I would try to look for something else that would give my life meaning and and I hadn't really um I'd always been really very attracted to Buddhism and different kinds of meditation so I got more interested in that uh just just really to find something that I could um uh find beautiful in the same way so Actually, now I, I think uh, there's a lot of, now that the bottom dropped out of the art world financially, you know, I think it's it's actually a much better place. And there are a lot more, there's a lot more invention going on there. So I, I don't feel as sad about it as all. I, mm. I, at the moment, you know, I think there's a lot of great stuff being made. You know, there, this city just goes through so many phases that, you know, it's... Um, hard to keep up with it let's let's take ourselves out of the city for a minute um the way you did back sometime i guess in the early 70s when you uh you went out onto houston street and hitched a ride heading north because you wanted to go to uh the north pole the magnetic north the magnetic pole. north pole. <laughs> and uh and you tell a story and the story actually also um the story called the, Geo the Geographic North Pole um, actually uses that same line towards the end of it about more people. I'm fascinated by that. More people alive uh -huh. now than are, than are dead. Um, so let's listen to you tell that story from, uh, from the record. The summer of 1974 was brutally hot in New York. And I kept thinking about how nice and icy it must be at the North Pole. And then I thought, wait a second, why not go? You know, like in cartoons where they hang gone to the North Pole on their doorknobs and they just take off. So I spent a couple of weeks preparing for the trip, getting a hatchet, a huge backpack, maps, knives, sleeping bags, lures, and a three-month supply of bannock a versatile high-protein paste that can be made into flatbread, biscuits, or cereal. Now I had decided to hitchhike, and one day I just walked out onto Houston Street, weighed down with 70 pounds of gear, and stuck out my thumb. Going north? I asked the driver, as I struggled into his station wagon. After I got out of New York, most of the rides were trucks until I reached the Hudson Bay and began to hitch in small mail planes. The pilots were usually guys who'd gone to Canada to avoid the draft, or else embittered Vietnam vets who never wanted to go home again. Either way, they always wanted to show off a few of their stunts. We'd go swooping low along the rivers, doing loop-de-loops and baby Hueys 
and they drop me off at an airstrip. There'll be another plane by here a couple of weeks. See ya. Good luck. I never did make it all the way to the geographic pole. It turned out to be a restricted area and no one was allowed to fly in or even over it. I did get within a few miles of the magnetic pole though, so it wasn't really that disappointing. I entertained myself in the evenings, cooking or smoking, and watching the blazing light of the huge Canadian sunsets as they turned the lake into fire. Later I lay on my back, looking up at the northern lights and imagining there'd been a nuclear holocaust and that I was the only human being left in all of North America and what would I do then? And then, when these lights went out, I stretched out on the ground, watching the stars as they turned around on their enormous, silent, of my hatchet. I'd been chopping some wood and the hatchet flew out of my hand on the upswing. And I did what you should never do when this happens. I looked up to see where it had gone and it came down, just missing my head. And I thought, my God, I could be walking around here with a hatchet embedded in my skull. And I'm 10 miles from the airstrip. And nobody in the whole world knows where I am. It was just like you said. Now that the living outnumber the dead. Where I come from, it's a long, thin thread. Across an ocean, down a river of red. Now that the living outnumber the dead. Speak my language. This is Idiot's Delight here on, on K-Rock, and we're talking to Laurie Anderson. 
there's so much in your music and uh, in some of the things you do vocally that remind me of the sounds of Vim Vender's Wings of Desire. And I, I, I totally forgot the fact that you did actually, in fact, contribute some some music to Wings of Desire yeah, to the soundtrack. These and this is it, I think. Do I have the right thing? Yeah, to I'm really, I'm really pleased you're playing These this because I haven't heard this in Angel Fragments. Long time. Vim's term for it. <laughs> he was mixing this, and he was uh, in con. He was about ready to present his movie, and of course he hadn't done finished the soundtrack, so he was like mixing it was supposed to come out three and a half days, and he called and said, "Can you send some angel fragments?" Uh, I said, "What do you What do you mean, Bim? And he said, you know, fragments." I said, "Okay, well, how many minutes of fragments that's do you want?" <laughs> and uh, so I I shipped him a um, cassette of some ideas and he just used the cassette really yeah well he was in a rush uh-huh. he had about then about eight hours left to do his mix and you know he's he's amazing you know he made just a little this is this is what it is yeah. what we're listening to just this little homemade cassette sound really nice and um it was I remember doing this. <laughs> I haven't heard this since I sent it to him, I think. Well, no, I saw, oh, you saw the film. I yeah. did see the movie, yeah. But it kind of gets lost in the yeah. in the film, really. Well, he's an amazing filmmaker. Cause, I mean, I think he really did invent music videos. I hate to pin that on him because that's a, like a kind of awful thing to have spawned in a way. Mm. But so many of his first um, films were really short things based on on one piece of music, music yeah. and the, he really uses music so beautifully I mean they're, it's really wall to wall I mean you listen to his films they just it's kind of non-stop in a lot of ways and a lot of very subtle and he really has some tiny little things back way back there I've been lucky enough to spend some time with him here on the air he's come up a couple of times oh, yeah. and he's uh He's, he's certainly is a music fan yeah. as well as a teacher. I yeah. mean, he's he's somebody that uh, yeah. I'm, I feel that I'm having that um, relationship with you tonight. I feel like you're a teacher. I mean, I'm just I'm really digging having you here. And I thought we could do something. We could experiment with something. I was I was thinking about doing it when you were talking about Cage and mm-hmm. visiting visiting Cage. And just a few minutes ago, before we played the the spoken piece, there was a little bit of feedback on the air. I don't oh, yeah. I don't think you heard it. But what I was doing, I was checking to make sure everything was on the air okay. Right. And I had my headsets turned up too loud for that. And right. so that's what was feeding back. You said about silence, how silence makes people uncomfortable. And, um, and in certain situations, silence is totally unacceptable, including, you mentioned radio. There's, there should never be any silence in radio. Everything should be segued tightly, you know, never even a pause. I wonder if you'd be interested in knowing what happens at a radio station when there is a lengthy period of silence. Oh, yeah, I would. Okay. Hey. (laughs) See, an alarm goes off. How many seconds was that? Uh, gee, I don't know. Maybe, th- was it 30, maybe? 
No, no. 30, was it longer, less or more? 12. Yeah? Ten, really? Be, between 10 and 12, I think. I wasn't cutting, but... Well, let's try it again. Okay. Uh, starting now. Almost 20. It was like 8. No, no, no. no. 13. 13. 13 seconds. Wow. And what is that supposed to uh, I guess it's <laughs> supposed to I guess it's supposed to alert the uh um the person on duty that there's dead air. <laughs> I don't maybe it's, oh, I see I've that always been told to them. the story mm, yeah. has always been told to radio people that it's for you it's there for when you fall asleep it's like there for the, like the late night overnight person right who's playing that long you know led zeppelin track for the 18th right. millionth time and and just right. happens to nod off and falls asleep Ooh. then the alarm comes on and wakes them up right live air as a yes as live air uh-huh. as opposed to uh the dead air can i play the remixed version of uh of uh in our sleep there's oh, yeah. a there's there's a a CD single that has come out that has uh, eight tracks on it. Some of them from the spoken word record, some of them from the music record, and there's a a sort of a remix, a single mix of uh, "In Our Sleep," which Speaking is the, of sleeping, <laughs> which is the piece that uh, you duet with uh, Lou Reed on. This is ninety two three K Rock. It's idiots delight. Listen to the drums beat as we speak. In our sleep, as we speak. Listen to the drums beat in our sleep. drums beat as we speak as we speak in our sleep listen to the drums beat in our sleep Listen to the drums beat 
brought in this cool record that I, I finally got a, a CD of. It's one of those great old Nunsuch records. That's Laurie Anderson, uh, the, the ring, remixed version of In Our Sleep, which is slightly different from the album mm-hmm. version of it. I wonder if you know this record. This was one of my fav- favorite records from the mid-60s, I guess, when I began discovering music from other parts of the world. Do you know music from the morning of the world? The Balinese gamelan oh, yeah. and the, the ketchak yeah. dance. Do you know this? It's such a cool sound, isn't it? Great sound. Here they are. Here they come. Yeah. And I just made I just made friends with somebody at Nonsuch Records. I think that's like a really good person to be friends with because yeah. they have like a great catalog of stuff like this. Fabulous. Laurie Anderson is my guest here. That's on, a wake-up uh, call. Yeah, really. Ooh. On Idiot's Delight. Now, after um, after tonight, I, th- I do believe you have the day off tomorrow. Yeah. Um, un- unusual thing, I guess, for you. And then you're heading to D.C., right. to Washington, mm-hmm. on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then traveling sort of uh, through the South, North Carolina. And yeah. Georgia, Tennessee, and finally down to Florida to the Tupperware Convention Center, where yeah, I think I think everybody who's listening to the show now should get on a plane and fly to Florida it's to see you at the up. to see you at the Tupperware <laughs> Convention Center. <laughs> well, we're hoping we all get some some Tupperware, some Tupperware out of the deal. Bring back and... my my daughter raised an interesting question about Tupperware about the name. She wondered if in fact um, whoever it was who invented Tupperware was in fact a person named Tupper. Is that where the name came from? I mean, why would you call it Tupperware? I, to me, it sounds like some somebody is talking. You know, named it after their kid's mispronunciation of supper or something. You know, like Tupperware. You know, like Puskitty or something mm. like that. You well, know, just, if there's any way to find out when you go to the Tupperware oh, convention, I'll try to center, do that. All right, and then you could put I'll it into you, know. you could put it into the green room. We'll put it on the web. The yeah. website. Okay. Okay. To deal. You don't you don't need your voice of authority. You don't you don't need your. Wait a minute, it's not working. <laughs> oh, oh. oh wait, there it is. There's the voice of authority. Yeah, it's convincing. Yeah. I wanted to make sure it was here just in case. <laughs> but do you do you find when you're using it, when you use the, the harmonizer to do the voice, that you, in fact, also begin to speak in a lower voice as well? Or do you just let the harmonizer do all the work? You know, you have to speak in a very bizarre tone of voice to get that to work. Because if you just use a lot of error, it's going to go sound like you know, too fluffy. So <laughs> I have um, a lot of sort of outtakes of things that I've used to make the harmonizer work. You actually have to talk like that. Really? And it's really irritating to hear the non-processed voice. So, yeah, to make it 
peaky enough to cure, you know, uh, sibilant things. That's and, interesting because whenever I've played with it, which mm -hmm. is rarely, I always find myself wanting to talk in a deeper voice because oh, right. that's the way it sounds and I figure I should just talk to you. I would never have thought to talk in a higher voice. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, see, I learned something. Give it a try. I'm learning a lot of things from you tonight, Laurie Anderson. Um, there, is a, there is a book. Where's the book? And the book is called Stories from the Nerve Bible. And in uh, uh, true Laurie Anderson fashion, it is a real mixed mixed media kind of book i mean it's it's not just text and it's not just photographs and it's not just drawings oh those little birds those little disney like birds mm -hmm. are they are they uh, um computer animations yeah. Yeah, those little blue my... birds oh they are so cool and friendly that was my first uh computer animation and that took forever i'm <gasps> telling you these little blue birds they you notice they're losing their feathers and like, uh, twirling uh, around and stuff yeah I was pretty proud of that. Yeah. Do, 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 do you make the relationship, uh, the jump to the Disney, kind of the little birds that fly around Snow White and stuff yeah, like well, that? Yeah, well, birds when you're knocked out or, you know. Oh, yeah, the knocked out birds, too. Picket right? fence birds, roses birds, corny birds. They're, yeah, they're, they're real sweet. Would you, um, would you read something from the Nerve Bible Yeah. now for us? Yeah. It's, I was thinking of reading this because of that um, none such thing you were playing. What? What's the title the, of that? Ket Jack, Ket Jack Dance. Ket music Jack music dance. from the morning of the world. The yeah. This, um, there's a, a story in the book about, um, about singing. And so it's another um, story about Canada. So since we listened to the North Pole, it's another, um, another frozen North story. So it goes like this. Uh, one day last summer when I was in Canada on a Cree Indian re reservation, some anthropologists showed up out of nowhere. They came in a little plane with maple leaves painted on the wings. They said they were there to shoot a documentary on the Cree Indians. They set up their video equipment in a tin Quonset hut next to the Hudson Bay Company. Then they asked the oldest man on the reservation to come and sing some songs for their documentary. On the day of the taping, the old man arrived. He was blind and wearing a red plaid shirt. They turned on some lights and he started to sing. But he kept starting over and sweating. Pretty soon it was clear that he didn't know any of the songs. He just kept starting over and sweating and rocking back and forth. And the only words he really seemed sure of were, Hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. I am singing the songs, the old songs. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. But I can't remember the words of the songs. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. Hey, ah, hey, ah. I am singing the songs of my fathers and of the animals they hunted down. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah. Hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. I never knew the words of the old songs. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. I never went hunting. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey. I am singing for this movie. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, hey, ah. I am doing this for money. Hey, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, ah, hey, hey, ah, hey. I remember grandfather. He lay on his back, 
while he was dying. Hey, hey, ya, hey, ya, hey, ya, hey, ya, hey, hey, ya. I think I am. Hey, hey, ya, hey, ya. No one. Hey, hey, ya, hey, ya, hey, ya, hey, hey, ya, hey, ya, hey. Laurie Anderson. The last um, two days, driving in the car, I've been stuck in very uh, nerve-wracking traffic jams. You know, those kind of uh, real assaultive uh, mm, yeah. people, you know, giving each other hand signs and yelling and cutting each other off. And I was mostly trying to get in and out of the city. It was right. mostly Lincoln Tunnel kind of oh, yeah. miserable... 45 minute long stinks in there yeah. and in preparation for your appearance on the show i've been listening to your cds in the car and i found them to be so um peace inducing so hypnotic but that's not the word there's it's the meditative i guess is more the word and even even though so much of of your music is comes from sounds that are not necessarily industrial but aren't aren't necessarily warm sounds some of them are colder sounds just listening to your voice and to the content of what you're saying and talking about was uh, real good for me real important for me and it it took me out of that miserable situation and brought me someplace else and sometimes i can't listen to anything when i'm stuck in one of those traffic jams because it yeah. all just gets annoying it right. gets as annoying as the situation yeah and i found that too seeing the show on friday night and for a period of time after leaving the show i was listening to everything differently you know, every little sound that I heard out on the street after we left the theater, I heard in a different way. Uh-huh. Because uh, you do some of that stuff where you have you have microphones on your body and, and right, you know, yeah. you'll touch yourself in a certain way and this, all of a sudden you go, oh, that's, that's her heartbeat or that's right. whatever. That's the sound of her thumb moving or wh whatever uh -huh. it is. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for getting me through a couple of traffic jams. Oh, no problem. <laughs> I mean, that's the least of the things I want to thank you no, for. No, I, a lot of that... that uh, that particular record or stories i think stories are great in cars yeah you know because you you're narrative of that kind of you know you're going somewhere and and so they i think they have a more interesting rhythm in a way than music because it's so choppy you know here's this three minute song here's this five minute song and here's a four minute song it's like you know it's it's almost uh makes it even a bumpier ride uh, you know yeah well, the stories you can find on The Ugly One with the Jewels, which is um, a, a CD sort of being released concurrently with Bright Red. It's actually a couple of months later, um, but they're both out there and they're, they're both, they, they both work together and themes run through both of them as themes run through a lot of your work. Things keep popping up and right. being recycled and reinterpreted. Okay. Would you make me a promise as we send you on your way? Um, into the New York night and back on the road with uh, stories and and the Nerve Bible tour. Would you make me a promise that the next time you're back in New York and you're off the road and you're just kind of hanging that you would come and spend some more time? Because I've only begun to scratch the surface of things I'd like to talk to you about. I'd love to do, do that. Do with you. And we've hardly played any of your music, any of your recordings here. And I'll bring you some Tupperware. Well, 
at least find out how they okay, how they got how they call, how they called it that uh, <laughs> why okay. they called it okay. that. Laurie Anderson, it's been a privilege having you here. Thank you great. so much. Good night. Good night. You know that little clock? The one on your VCR? The one that's always blinking 12 noon? Because you never figured out how to get in there and change it. So it's always the same time. Just the way it came from the factory. Good morning. Good night. Same time tomorrow. We're in record. So here are the questions. Is time long? Or is it white? And the answers? Sometimes the answers just come in the mail. And one day you get that letter you've been waiting for forever. And everything it says is true. And then in the last line it says, Burn this. We're in record. And what I really want to know is this. Are things getting better? Or are they getting worse? Can we start all over again? Stop. Pause. We're in record. Good morning. Good night. Dying you without a body move. And in our hearts we fly. Stand by. Good morning.